Welcome to Ciao Bella, hosted by me, Erica Firpo, a travel journalist based in Rome. Each episode of Ciao Bella, I sit down with Italy's creators, contemporary artists and artisans, designers, culinary experts, heritage brands, and innovative estites, and more who are defining and redefining 21st century Italy. Pull up a chair and join in. Hey guys, I'm in Modena, Italy, and we're going to jump right into a conversation with Lara Gilmore, partner and wife of Massimo Bottura. We're talking about food for soul and il tortellante. You know, when I first met Massimo, he kind of tried to describe the whole tortellini thing. I did not grow up eating tortellini. I grew up very American, spaghetti with meatballs, spaghetti with tomato sauce, tomato sauce made from the garden, so it was kind of runny. It had nothing to do with real Italian tomato sauce. So um, my first experience in Italy, I was studying art. It was my first summer at college, and I lived with my cousin, who at the time was living in Florence. And so I had a real introduction to what is Italian kitchen, Florentine kitchen, the ingredients, going to the market. I learned how to make a risotto, panzanella. But Emilia Romagna was on the other side of the Apennines. So that was like a whole other world that I didn't even have an opportunity to explore. So I went along for many years with my Tuscan kitchen, the recipes I'd learned that summer. And then when I met Massimo, he started talking about Emilia Romagna, homemade egg pasta, tagliatelle and ragu, tortellini. And it was like an eye-opener because I had no idea. Even lasagna, the lasagna that he first made in the restaurant that we were working in together was completely different than the southern Italian yep. lasagna that I had grown up with, mozzarella, tomato. This was ragu, bechamel, uh, homemade egg pasta, oftentimes with spinach in it, completely different flavors, much softer, much rounder. And so um, when I first came to visit him in 1993 in Emilia Romagna, he took me to Trattoria Campazzo, the restaurant that he, was, um, uh, that he had had for nine years and was still running, and he served me this, you know, here you are, you're going to have the plate of tortellini with the cream of Parmesan sauce on it. And it's the most amazing thing in the world. And I was kind of underwhelmed. I guess I had built this whole thing up in my mind. And I thought, well, okay, you know, it's pretty good. But as time went on and tortellini became part of my daily, my weekly routine, so Sunday night tortellini or... Everyone goes out with friends, and you go to a local place, and you have tortellini and broth. On Sunday nights. You learn nights. to make them, often Sunday nights. Well, oh. Sunday nights have always been the night that Massimo has the restaurant closed, Sunday or Monday nights. So for us, mm -hmm. that was a time to go out, be together, and oftentimes, talking 26 years ago, there wasn't this whole gastronomic uh, evolution in Modena where you could eat things that were not necessarily from the Modernese tradition. Everything was still very, very Modernese around here. So it was always tortellini or tagliatelle or lasagna. And um, the more I tasted them, the more I started understanding the nuance of the flavor and realizing that it has this great umami. And there's this combination, whether you're having it in broth or in a cream sauce, there's meat, there's cheese, there's the dough. It's very enriching and it's very kind of nourishing as a, as a meal and you sort of get a bit of an addiction towards it so rainy day November oh, can't wait to have a bowl so of tortellini brodo, yeah. and then years later find myself not only learning how to make tortellini but our son who has uh is on the uh, autistic spe spectrum we began a project for him and other young boys like himself and young men 
coming into adulthood to also um, learn how to make tortellini. That uh, after-school project of teaching them how to make tortellini and the process and um, the sort of assembly line construction of an artisanal pasta like that really became a, an idea for creating a future for them, which is now our project called Tortellante, where we have a pasta lab where we make tortellini, we sell them, and we create not only a space for these young adults to socialize, be together, share their time, share their abilities with, with others, but also to uh, kind of keep the tortellini uh, tradition alive, to, to safeguard it in some way, and also to um, show people that tortellini can be something that you can learn to make. Anyone can learn to make it. It's a matter of putting in your time, paying your dues, putting in those hours, practicing, practicing, and practicing. Also having good teachers. We're lucky to have all these resdore. Which is, to me, a tongue twister. I can never say that word, resdore. Resdore meaning kind of the golden makers. So the golden makers are those um, women, often at times also men, who have spent uh, much of their free time cooking for their families and have mastered the art of homemade pasta, rolling out the pasta dough, egg pasta, making tornadini. only in Modena? It's, I've never heard no, that term No, I think it's in Emilia-Romagna. I think it's really more in Emilia than Romagna. And uh, La Resdora is the homemaker, so it can mean a lot of things. But uh, it really is kind of like a golden maker, something who can make something out of nothing, some eggs, some flour, leftover ground up uh, meat, and turn it into this delicious capsule of uh, traditional flavors. Well, it's beautiful because I was there this morning and it was great because there was a, a boy or a young man with his grandmother who was there. So I love this idea that it can, it's also there, there, I was talking to Alessandro and he was telling me there are some nonni that have come in. There are some people who have no relation to anyone who want to give their time, want to learn how to make the, the tortellini, but want to also be with these kids and, and help them on this passage through their adolescence, I guess. And they're just making the pasta with them all day long, which I thought was fabulous because it's like, it, it, it is a disappearing, it's one of those arts that, you know, these, these particular artists and things are disappearing as the traditional family is disappearing, shall we say. Absolutely, and I think that there's, um, you know, when we talk about making our cities more resilient, in general, when we think about how to help cities grow, even a small city like Modena that is uh, feeling the strange and the pressures of, of changing society, there's a whole um, uh, sector of society are people who are what they call in Italy the third age, so retired community. They no longer are doing their full-time jobs. Uh, many of them have incredible skills to pass on. And how do we engage them to pass those skills onto the people who need them the most. And if you think about it, a group of young uh, children with special needs, uh, young adults with special needs, they're not children anymore because um, our team is made up of uh, boys who are from 16 to 26, and that age will keep growing as our tortellante remain with us. But um, they're passing on a skill that they will have for the rest of their lives, and they're able to uh, master uh, and uh, my, Charlie, my son, is much better at folding the tortellini than I am. He spends hours there twice a week. Uh, but it's also uh, a great pastime for people who are also in their homes alone. Maybe they don't have 
grandchildren or their grandchildren are doing other things and not interested or have the time to sit down two or three hours at a time and learn how to make tortellini. And I think there's this great sense of satisfaction, not only that these women and men are contributing their time, but they're actually giving skills to, to, to a whole group of, of people who need those skills and needed an identity. And so these young boys are um, becoming the tortellante. They do their shopping around town. The store is right in the center of town. They've become kind of a part of the social uh, fabric. And uh, more than anything, they feel that they are giving back also to their to their own city in terms of image, in terms of saving this tradition, and um, making it, uh, re people realize that it's much easier to do than you think. So much of sort of cooking and pasta tradition seems so impossible, and yet when you sit down and you start making them, you realize that it's just a matter of time. I, I loved that. And I, I told you immediately, I said, I want to come and spend a week here because I wanted to sit down and also just, just tune out and chat. Because one of the things I thought was so beautiful was just the community at the table because there's two long tables and a bunch of people sitting down making pasta, talking about whatever they feel like talking about. You know. And tortellini making has always been kind of like a knitting, knitting circle. So when you roll out a large sheet of homemade egg pasta, you need to actually have... The more people you have the around the table, the more tortellini you're going to make and the faster you're going to make them because the dough starts to dry out. So it's almost an impossible endeavor to roll out a large sheet of dough and make the tortellini by yourself because by the time you get halfway through the dough, it's, it's already dried out. Up. So it's always been a tradition to have to invite people over, make tortellini together, divide up the tortellini evenly, and everyone goes home with a much larger quantity of tortellini, and they've had time to gossip and talk and share their experiences and talk about their husbands or the this or the that or their neighbor. And it's, uh, it's, like, a, it's like a knitting circle. I think I need that. Now I know that you were, that Alessandra was telling me they're making 40 to 45 kilograms of, I mean, that's a lot. That's over a hundred pounds of pasta a week. And it's not enough. <laughs> the problem is we've had so many orders for tortellini that it's not enough well, tortellini. Where, so, is this, where is this tortellini going? So we have, um, uh, right now we're not selling directly to the public. We actually began uh, with uh, collaborations with local industries around us. So Tetra Pak, which is a Swedish company that actually creates um, uh, paper packaging, they offer to their uh, employees the possibility of ordering special ingredients weekly. And so one of the ingredients they order is tortellini. So we get orders of tortellini. They're then going into family homes uh, once a week. We also have uh, different companies, um, a publishing company, car company, um, another mechanic company that in their internal cafeteria, they offer our tortellini once a week to their employees. And so we are selling tortellini to them. And then with the most recent commission has been for um, tortellini for a kind of a slow food, fast food company called Pizzicotto that oh. sells pizza, but also some hot pasta dishes and there are I'm not sure exactly the numbers but let's say there's about 30 pizzicato in northern Italy one is in Modena one is in Belluno one is in Milan and so now they've put on their menu tortellini from Tortellante wow and uh, the great thing about being able to sell our tortellini to with companies like this is that it keeps our project alive it keeps the money coming in for 
amazing educators like Alessandro, organizers who run the project, but also to have the kids getting a, a salary and having them feel that they are part of a, understand what a working business means. Well, I know that also part of it is um, on the weekends, they're not making pasta, but they have this community space. The kids have a community space where they can feel autonomous. They can hang out. They're responsible for themselves to some degree and, and responsible for each other, for the relationships they have with each other. So the tortellante is not simply, hey, we're getting, we're teaching you a skill how to make, how, how to make pasta in a pasta lab, but it's also we're teaching you, we're, we're encouraging you how to be autonomous and participate with each other. Yeah, it's not just a job or an occupation, a place to go. Um, they... Um, uh, the young adults who are there uh, at uh, in the mornings have already finished school. And so they work in the mornings. And then together they make lunch upstairs. We have a proper apartment upstairs with three bedrooms, uh, running uh, operating kitchen. And so they all make lunch together. They eat lunch together. They do activities. The afternoon is reserved for um, uh, young men like Charlie, my son, who's in his last year of high school, um, so that he's still going to school during the day and two afternoons a week. He goes there and is part of the community. Uh, weekends, they have Saturday night, they have parties. So it's an opportunity for uh, socialization and for feeling, once again, part of something. I think that everyone wants to feel part of something, whether it's your job, your profession, your social group, who you go biking with, or who you exercise with, um, and it makes all of us feel uh, much better about ourselves. I think that's something I've noticed with the other projects that you have. So like with Food for Soul, again, it's about making people feel like they're part of something. Um, we can talk a little bit about Food for Soul if you'd like, which uh, you, by the way, I haven't even introduced who you are. <laughs> but Food for Soul, um, I'd love for you to put it in your words, because I think when people say it's it's a kitchen uh, that that is making restaurant-quality discarded food, that's not enough. That's not the best description. No, absolutely. <laughs> so my name is Laura Gilmore, and um, I am... Um, business partner and wife of Massimo Bottura, a chef based here in Modena, Italy, um, a chef who's also been on a mission since he began, even before I met him, to change sort of the idea that about the Italian kitchen, that is in a kitchen that is in constant evolution, that those recipes can be played with and, and, um, and shifted and changed, and maybe that's the ultimate solution to keeping a lot of recipes as alive, to make sure that they are contemporary and not put under... Uh, a glass container and, and, and kept the same forever and ever as our societies are changing. And um, during our, the course of um, our career in Austria Francescana, there came a moment when we realized that there was an opportunity during Expo 2015 to also show that um, a chef can be more than the sum of his recipes and can have a larger influence outside of uh, a restaurant. Um, and we created a community kitchen. Could be called a soup kitchen, could be called a mensa, pretty poverty. Uh, but the, basically the idea was that there was going to be an inevitably uh, so much food surplus from Expo and that where was that food surplus going to go? Um, Expo was a lot about feeding the planet and so feeding the planet is not just about production, but also about what we do with the inevitable surplus we have in our food chain, in our contemporary modern food chain. And so Massimo called on um, chefs around the world, colleagues, friends. Uh, he put out a sort of an invitation. Anybody who was coming to Milan and coming to Expo, we invited them to cook in this beautiful space that we created. 
pulling together uh, all the resources we had, artists, architects, uh, furniture companies, lighting design companies, anyone who wanted to be part of the project and create something beautiful together. And we created um, what we thought was the ideal uh, soup kitchen where beauty, wood tables designed by um, 13 different architects. Each one had its own unique table, a professional kitchen, uh, artworks on the wall, uh, an inviting space, and more than anything, hospitality. We added to this concept of a soup kitchen, so no one's in a, in a line as in a self-service kitchen, but uh, guests are seated at the table. They're welcomed. They're uh, introduced to a three-course meal um, that has been made Everything from food surplus coming from supermarkets, from restaurants, from bakeries, whatever it is, we try to transform what inevitably what would have been thrown away into something delicious. Um, this project we thought was going to be just for the six months of Expo, but we realized after six months that not only the soup kitchen had taken on a life of its own, our refectorio had become a, its own community. The volunteers were running that space. They didn't need famous named chefs anymore. They had more recipes than they could ever imagine. And that this project could have legs and continue to grow and eventually open up other refectorios around the world. And London. so we opened one in Rio in 2016, another in London in 2017, Paris in the crypt of the Madeleine in 2018. And now 2019 has been a year of working on the next projects to solidify uh, and confirm uh, spaces in Mexico, in the United States, um, and around the world. So from a very small idea of a taking advantage idea. of something that was already happening in Italy, we realized that there was a, a need and a call to, um, to act. And I think that call to act has taught us many things about ourselves and our, and our own kitchen as well. Um, it's not only about feeding someone a meal, but nourishing them in a much more holistic way. We discovered that many of the volunteers that we have coming through our projects actually are in need as well, in need of socializing. We serve a staff meal after they've worked in, in uh, serving others, and this creates community. Uh, our project is about social isolation as much as it is about being hungry or being alone on the street. And I think that the two things come together and often they're not addressed in the same in the same voice. Right. Um, so that has a similar um, uh, ring as Tortellante. The volunteers who work in all of our projects end up creating incredible relationships with each other, friendships. And oftentimes we um, don't acknowledge how lonely big cities can be. Uh, young people, people have moved from another part of the country, uh, they maybe don't have a job. Oftentimes becoming a volunteer, whether you're working in the kitchen or washing dishes or serving at the table, is your first step as a newcomer to a city to meeting people, people who have similar ideas, and maybe discovering even a skill about yourself that you didn't have before. Well, this is what I think is a, a through line through all the projects that you've done is this fostering community, um, creating community. Not, I, I mean, I think the community is already there, but what you're doing is you're investing in it. And I don't, um, I, I haven't. And also creating spaces. I mean, oftentimes we have these virtual communities. We have these floating communities. Yeah. We have these clouds of communities. But where do you gather? And so um, 
now is a moment where I'm starting to think about all these spaces that we create, whether it's the pasta lab at Tortolante or a community kitchen in the crypt of the Madeleine. We are creating spaces for people to gather, to learn, to socialize, to be with one another in a very kind of old-fashioned, archaic means of socializing. So it has nothing to do with your phone and it has nothing to do with um, social media. It has everything to do with actually doing things with other people, whether mm-hmm. you are washing dishes or helping in the kitchen, eating a meal, maybe you are, you know, uh, have going through a difficult time and you're invited to come to one of our refectorios and you have a meal with someone else. Now that meal can lead to a conversation, can lead to meeting someone, could lead to even to saying, hey, yes, I'm on the streets, but I have some culinary skills. I'd like to be a volunteer here as well as eating here. And that may lead to discovering a job skill. And I think that a lot of times we're missing these sort of social opportunities, hubs, where we're, there can be exchange, there can be knowledge, there could be um, also just that sense of bringing dignity back to people's lives, and not just for those who are on the street hungry. Thanks for listening to this episode of Ciao Bella. I really had a wonderful time in Modena and an amazing visit to Il Tortolante's laboratory, where I met the team, the young men, and the Rezdore. If you'd like to learn more about Il Tortolante, visit tortolante.it. I've eagerly watched as Food for Soul grew from a refettorio in Milan to an international program with refettori in Milan, Bologna, Modena, Napoli, in Paris, London, and Rio. The latest opening is Medina, Mexico in 2020, and coming soon to Quebec, San Francisco, and New York. If you'd like to learn more or even volunteer for Food for Soul, visit foodforsoul.it. I'm sharing all of this information, all the links for Food for Soul, Il Tortolante, and Lara and Massimo's other projects on my site, ciaobella.co. Ciao, Bella!